you are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Vegetables. Hello my radio friends. I'm glad you've tuned in today to another program in the series Give Me the Bible. The title of the program might seem somewhat strange, even a bit weird for a religious broadcast, but keep listening. It will all become clear soon enough. Did you know that approximately 11% of Australians are vegetarians or vegans. That amounts to around about 2.5 million people. Maybe restaurants should take note of this statistic and provide better menu choices for those who, for whatever reason, prefer not to eat meat. There seems to be an increasing amount of data produced by researchers that a plant-based diet is much more beneficial for good health than an omnivorous or carnivorous diet. But interestingly, some people, based on what is written in the Bible in the book of Romans, seem to think that vegetarianism is equated with weakness. I'll read the passage for you. It's from Romans 14, verses 1 and 2. It says, Accept those who are weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now, before discussing these texts in more detail, there are Christians who say that it is okay to eat anything. And they base this on the vision God gave the Apostle Peter, recorded in Acts chapter 10, where the vision was of a sheet full of all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds, let down from heaven, and where the Lord commanded Peter, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter was taken aback by this and replied, Surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Then the Lord replied, Do not call anything impure what God has made clean. In fact, God gave Peter this vision to make him understand that the gospel message should also be shared with people who were non-Jews. And there is this verse in 1 Timothy 4.4 which says, For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected. Now that almost seems to be a license to eat anything and everything you like. But common sense tells us that it is not good to eat anything for food. 
some things are poison, and others are responsible for disease. So then, why do vegetarians limit their diet to plant-based foods? Are they fanatics? Well, my reason for being a vegetarian is for the well-known health benefits, less disease, and the likelihood of a longer and better life. I do it primarily for my own sake. But really, diet is not the important issue. Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's from Romans 14 verse 17. But we are also cautioned. Whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. By pigging out, by becoming intoxicated, or doing anything else to excess, is definitely not doing it to God's glory, whether it's permissible or not. But we need to get to the bottom of what was recorded in Romans 14 about the man whose faith is weak who only eats vegetables. The main issue back when the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans was whether or not meat had been offered to idols. It's a bit like what happens in our day and age where Muslims will only eat meat that has been butchered by a halal butcher. The same goes with Jews, who, although not quite so extreme as the Muslims, will only eat meat that is clean or kosher. Many devout Christian converts during the apostolic times had come out of paganism, where meat was offered to idols. The pagans had the idea that the meat was blessed that way and was therefore better for them. Mainly through the efforts of the apostles Peter and Paul in the first century AD, the gospel message went out to southern Europe and there were many converts to Christianity. Some of the Jewish Christians tried to impose on many of the new believers certain Jewish practices, such as circumcision. There was so much agitation in the church that the church leaders called a council meeting in Jerusalem to see what should be done. Eventually it was decided that there should be a letter sent out to all the churches with certain instructions. The relevant part of the letter said this, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. That advice was widely accepted, but some Christians felt that offering food to idols was pretty harmless anyhow, 
as an idol was only an inanimate object with no power to bless or curse. The idols were lumps of carved wood or stone or metal. And whether the meat was offered to an idol for a blessing didn't matter two figs, as the idol wouldn't and couldn't do anything. So these Christians didn't really care about the meat they ate. It was food whether it had been offered to an idol or not. And so there arose a tension in the Christian church. Some would eat meat offered to idols, some would not, and still others played it safe by not eating any meat at all. There were some people well established in the Christian faith who recognised the powerlessness of idols and ate the meat that may have been offered to idols. In Romans 14, these people are described as strong in the faith. And then there would have been new believers who felt it unwise to have anything to do with idols and so would not eat food offered to idols. And then there may have been other new believers who felt so uneasy about any meat because there was the possibility that it had been offered to idols. They took the safest course of action and avoided meat altogether. In Romans 14, these new believers were described as weak, not because they did not have faith, but because they were new in the faith. Probably today we would describe the two parties involved as mature and immature in the faith. Just as a man is a mature male, and a boy is an immature male, does not mean that the boy is any less important or should have less human rights than the man. Both are valuable as far as God is concerned. It's just that the man has had more life experiences. Children, children approaching puberty find great interest in the sexual anatomy of the opposite sex. They're usually wide-eyed and giggle when they see pictures of people in the nude. But grown-ups normally are fairly blasé about such things, as they've seen it all before. This illustrates the kind of difference in the mature and immature Christians the Apostle Paul was writing about. Paul then proceeds to illustrate the weak strong debate by referring to holidays. Please note that he is not talking about the regular weekly Sabbath. Some of the Christians who were once pagans still kept pagan holidays. Some didn't. Paul pointed out in verse 5 that whether or not a new Christian kept pagan holidays or did not, didn't make much difference. What did make the difference was why or why not they did it. If they did what they did, 
because they wanted to please God, it was acceptable. In our day and age, most Christians are aware of the significance of Easter and Christmas. Some are very careful about what they do at those times and will often attend church services held for these special occasions. But there are other Christians who recognise that Christmas is not when Jesus was born, as his birth was probably in March or April, and Easter was adopted from the pagans honouring the goddess of Ishtar. Such Christians do not religiously keep these Easter and Christmas holidays. So who is to judge whether one group or the other is right? Both groups have good reasons for what they do. Some people attend worship services wearing their very best clothes. Some attend in their everyday clothes. Do those who wear their best clothes have any grounds to judge those who don't? After all, both groups go to church to worship. These kinds of issues relate to what Paul has written about concerning the eating of meat offered to idols. In Romans 14.10, the Apostle Paul challenged the Christian believers. He said, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. We'll have a little break and go on straight afterwards.
we will be judged on how we honour God. We will be judged according to how we treat others. And we will be judged on whether we do what God wants, that is, keeping his commandments and loving others. We will not be judged according to the practices and will of what others think we must do. And we must not fall into the trap, thinking that customs and traditions are holiness. I'll repeat that. Custom and tradition is not holiness. But you know, there's another issue to do with all this. Whether someone eats meat that's been offered to an idol or if he does not applies to many other activities involving Christians or parents or even friends. It's this. We should not do anything which will have a negative effect on others, even if we do not regard that activity as bad. For example, the father decides that he wants to drive over the speed limit. The message his children get from that is that it's okay to disrespect the law. Now, I know that example is a fairly innocent one, but you can probably think of many things where someone sets an example which says to others that it is acceptable to do what they may think as unacceptable. The Apostle Paul has set forth a principle about what we do. It's found in Romans 14 and verse 21, where he says, It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. And this is expanded in 1 Corinthians 10 and verses 23 and 24 where the Bible says, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. None of us lives to his self or herself. Unless we're hermits and have no interaction with other people, we will always have an effect on others. If I hit my thumb with a hammer and let out a colourful list of expletives, that's swear words, my children and anyone within earshot will learn that, firstly, that it's acceptable to swear in certain circumstances, and secondly, since Father cannot control his feelings, it is acceptable for them to have moments of insanity where they too can go out of control. At one stage of his life, my father supplemented his income from farming by taking a job on the local council as a grader driver. On one occasion, my dad had been grading the road that went past where we lived. At the end of the previous day's shift, 
Dad had graded the road right up to a spot opposite our property. That was good for him, as he could spend the night at home with the family instead of having to stay in a caravan somewhere else. It was winter, and that night was very cold. Frost lay on the ground and on any metal objects. Next morning, Dad was up early, as was his usual custom, ready to start grading at seven o'clock in the morning. But because it was so bitterly cold, the grader would not start, and despite repeated attempts, the engine would not fire up. I heard my dad, obviously upset, stomping across the paddock heading toward the house, and there were some unsavoury words emanating from his mouth. I could hardly believe what I was hearing. This was my father uttering swear words I had never heard him say before. Dad went to the shed and took a can of ether start, which is ether, a very volatile liquid which sprayed into the air intake of a reluctant motor will often make it start. These days it is marketed under the name of Start, you bastard. Dad left the shed and headed back, and eventually the grader started. But the impression left in my mind was not a good one. My estimation of my father fell a lot that day. It certainly was not the kind of impression I'd like my children to have of me. As a Christian, it's not the kind of impression I'd like to leave with others. You see, none of us lives to himself. Others see and hear what we do, and they sometimes use us as models for their own actions. And surprisingly, it is not only the good actions that make an impression. The bad things we often do make the deepest impressions. So, whether it's to do with eating or drinking or talking or whatever we do, we need to consider our actions and words as they will have an effect on others. If I model proper attitudes and behaviours, Someone who is an immature Christian may be strengthened. But if I do what undermines that person's beliefs and standards, I've done wrong, although I may not regard the action as wrong myself. So, we are advised in the Bible to be aware of what others may think of us and of what we do. Let us not do anything that will undermine someone who is weak in the faith. If you're a parent, be a good example to your children. If you're a grandparent, be a good example. Be a good example no matter what. No, not only some who, in, who are weak in the faith eat vegetables, some who are strong in the faith eat vegetables. Vegetables 
is not the issue. But all this highlights that we all have a responsibility to other people. And I hope you choose to live responsibly. Well, <laughs> that's it for this session. Join me again, won't you, next time for another in the series, Give Me the Bible. Until then, I wish you peace and joy and hope. And most of all, God's blessings. <laughs>